church is not a building. It is a gathering of people. That's always what it's been. Um, and it's not just one gathering of people. It's a, it's a life and community together. And so um, if you're going to church, if going to church to you means spending one hour in a building on Sunday mornings and walking out and that's it, you're not really participating in church anyway. Today's podcast is sponsored by my friends at Acts 29, and they have an exciting opportunity coming up that I'd like to tell you about. Acts 29 will host four advanced conferences this year. Advanced conferences are training and assessment events that bring together new and aspiring church planters, dynamic thinkers, and proven church planting practitioners. The next advanced conference is in Omaha, Nebraska, May 1st through 3rd, with other events in Dallas and Portland later this year. These events will include breakouts for a wide variety of church leaders, including women who are pastors' wives or ministry leaders. To learn more and register for one of these advanced conferences, visit acts29.com slash advance23. That's acts29.com slash advance23. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Things. It is the month of March, Women's History Month. And so every All Things episode this month, we are focusing on a different issue pertaining to women. And so all of the guests this month have been so sweet. I'm so looking forward to bringing this conversation to you. I am talking to Erica Anderson, who just released a book called Reason to Return. And the subtitle is Why Women Need the Church and the Church Needs Women. So I love the church, as you guys know, and I love ministering to women and my friendships with women as well. So I'm thrilled to have this conversation. Erica, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on to talk about the book. Yes, we're excited. So why don't you start by introducing yourself to the listeners? What do you do professionally, personally? What are you writing? What's your life like right now, Erica? Yes. Definitely. Uh, Well, I live in Indianapolis, Indiana with my husband and my two kids that are four and seven. Um, I am a freelance writer and slash freelancer, uh, other things as well, digital media, social media, kind of jack of all trades type of person, but I work for myself and uh, it's a lot of fun to keep a lot of different balls in the air. Um, But my real love is writing. And so I'm a columnist at World Magazine. Um, I get to do some reporting for Christianity Today on a regular basis and then various other places. And then, of course, the book just launched. So that's been a lot going on. Um, And so that's kind of um, my little life in a nutshell right now. Yeah, I feel like if we weren't talking about women in the church, we could be talking about how you wear all those different hats. You are busy. And I see your name in so many bylines in so many different places, which has got to be fun because you write for secular outposts, you write for, you know, Christian magazines, you you've got your hands in a lot of different places, which I think is so good. Yeah, it's um, it's been really cool to write for some some of the secular outlets. I mean, I feel like um, I went through you know a couple of years where I was really getting a lot of opportunities, and um, got I felt like God really was giving me this platform. I mean, the first um, article I wrote for the Wall Street Journal was about church, and I was just like, this is so cool. Like I'm writing about church for this massive audience, and it, honestly, it was the genesis of this book um, that really w- where that article came from, and so um, it amazing um, that I have been given this gift and these opportunities um, and I don't take it for granted and um, I love it. Yeah, that is awesome. I love to just see women walking in their gifting and just feeling the pleasure of God as they exercise those gifts and that he's allowed it and made it happen. Um, And not obviously not that it comes easy. I know better than that (laughs) to think that for a second it is easy, but it's sweet to see 
when the Lord allows his daughters to flourish in different ways. Okay, so reason to return. Let's turn our conversation there. You say that 16 million women have left the church over the last decade, which I find really, really striking. So can you start us off by telling us why they're leaving, where they're going, what is going on? Yeah, the number is probably a little higher now sure. since COVID. I mean, mm-hmm. I think those stats were really like up until 2020. Mm-hmm. So um, probably a little higher. And it's one of those things where it's like such a staggering number that it's hard to sort of, um, you know, who, who is this woman? Who are these women that are leaving? And I think a lot of people, when I talk to them about this, their minds immediately jump to, oh, well, it's politics or it's deconstruction or deconversion. And I do think, of course, that there are those things play a part in this. But from what I read and researched, it seems to me and what the research shows is that it's more about uh, women feeling stressed out, overwhelmed, you know, misguided. They don't have direction, like life is heavy. um, And there's just been all kinds of different contributing factors that have made them not feel that church is something they need in their Mm -hmm. life. And Mm -hmm. that goes along, I think, with the fact that we are increasingly a post-Christian culture. And so going to church is actually less normal than it ever has been. And less than half of Americans attend church on a regular basis. I can't remember the exact stats. I want to say it's something like 37% for the general population. Um, And so like that, it's, it's, I think that it's more practical things, things that actually have solutions. And so when I saw these numbers and I saw specifically that women were starting to leave at much faster rate than men, which is the first time in history this has ever happened. I was very intrigued by this. Um, And what I thought was so interesting is that women are leaving, but they're still saying that they highly value their relationships with God. And so when I heard that, I was like, these are people that like low hanging fruit for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. Like these are people that, that can come back and we just have to talk, speak to Mm -hmm. them and invite them back in a way that their hearts feel it and hear it. Um, and is a message that they're, you know, willing to listen to. Yeah. I love that you're a researcher at heart. I feel that too. I just love to dig and get to the bottom of sociological data, what's really going on. So listeners might not be aware that that data that you just gave us that more women are leaving faster than men is really staggering because I know from my own research, um, since the time of Jesus, since Jesus revolutionized the world and the early church was born, more women than men have been attending church ever since. More women than men are Christians, right? So for you to say that more women are leaving than men, that does really blow me away. What do you account for that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's related because, you know, we're talking about America here. Mm-hmm, we're sure. talking about North America, not like the whole right. world. Um, as you probably know, like Christianity is really exploding in, in some, you know, uh, other places like in, in Africa and places like that. Um, but for America, I, I, I think part of it is relating back to the post-Christian culture thing. Mm-hmm. I think also there's been just this uprising of, you know, this uh, religion of self. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got our gurus like Glennon Doyle Melton and Brene Brown and all of those. And they may have, you know, I'm not saying they ha- they say all bad things. I mean, they have helpful things to say uh, from time to time. But, you know, people are looking for uh, purpose and meaning and something to hold on to. And these sort of secular gurus offer like a replacement for religion in a way, like it's almost like its own religion. And I think people are trying that and they're seeing that. 
Um, but what what's happening is it's not sustainable mm-hmm. because it's you can't be you can't um, worship yourself. Yeah. <laughs> That's not going to work. You can't go to yourself for what you need from like the one true God. Yeah. And so I think that those, and this is just my anecdotal opinion, but I think a lot of those things are sort of running their course. Mm-hmm. People are doing it. They're loving it. They're like untamed. Yes. <laughs> you know, but then they're realizing like, oh, that's actually not so great because it's grounded in basically nothing. Yeah. And so I think that there is an opportunity right now to speak to a lot of those people that are burnt out, that are, you know, they know there's something more, but they just haven't been able to get it together or find the energy to figure out what to do next. Yeah. But we know they think it's important mm-hmm. and that's really big. Yeah, this is super interesting. And I just want to be like, preach over here because you are you are speaking my language. I love to talk about this age of self and how it's not going well. Um, we are not serving yeah. <laughs> ourselves well when we seek to be self-serving, right? Um, it's very toxic. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And it's so attractive at first, right? I mean, anybody who's listened to Glennon Doyle Melton or Brene Brown, um, you can't help but feel energized, pumped up, excited. Um, but I totally agree with you. I think that research bears this out as well as all of us are picturing a dozen friends right now, including ourselves, um, and just recalling how it falls short. And that message does not really satisfy and it does not really sustain us. It turns out we make really terrible gods because we are limited human beings. Yeah, I had this, I used to do this like yoga class on online during the pandemic and the lady would always close the class and she would always say, um, and remember everything that you could ever want or need is right here inside. Of oh you. man. And I wanted to be like, no, that's, that's actually not true. I mean, unless you're talking about the Holy spirit in your heart, yeah. but <laughs> I don't think that's what she meant. But I'm like, even if you were completely non-religious, like we all need people outside of ourselves. God created us for community. And so like, even, you know, you and I, of course, believe like that church community is, is the ultimate community that he wants for us. But even in a non-religious sense, like since we are created in God's image, like we all have that desire for community in some form or fashion. And we can obviously see that in rates of mental health and how everything plays out when you become an isolated person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. Erica, what is your story with church? Did you grow up in church? Are you a new churchgoer? What's your relationship like? Yes, I am a lifelong churchgoer, um, but I don't want people to, you know, say, oh, she doesn't know. She's been going for, you know, but because what I talk about in the book and and I've said many times is that if you've been going to church for any amount of time, like we've all experienced hurt at the hands of church. Um, We have all had relationships that have been not good or experiences that were uh, very misguided or even abusive. And, you know, you, it, it's, it's all there. I've been going to church since I was, you know, basically born and I've been to a variety of churches, big and small, um, been through a couple different youth groups, college ministries, all the things. Um, and church ha- for me, despite some of the negative things that I do go into in the book has always been this real grounding in my life. Mm-hmm. It's like, I can just say where, when I move somewhere new, um, I remember like I moved to Washington, D.C. Um, when I was just out of college. And it's like the first thing I did, I didn't know anybody. First thing I do, like I got to find a church. And I don't know what it was in me that did that, but that's what I did. And every time I move somewhere new, it's the first thing I do. And I think it's just because um, 
I, when I walk into a church, it's like, I feel like I'm home and I know that I'm surrounded by, you know, family and believers. And there's something so sweet and kindred about, you know, being in, in surrounded by other believers. And, um, oh, what was the, uh, I had a thought. I had a thought. <laughs> it just, oh yes, yes. Okay. So this is the, uh, this is the thing that I love so much, and you maybe have read this before, but I read it in Sam Alberry's book about church, where he says that um, churches are embassies of heaven mm-hmm. on earth. And so I'm like, when you walk into a church, like you're not on earth anymore. Just like when you're in China and you're at the U.S. embassy, like you're not in China anymore. Mm-hmm. And so there's something, I mean, I really think it's one of the coolest things that I've ever heard, that when you walk into church, you're you're really walking into heaven. Yeah. And like, whoa. (laughs) So I just love that. Yeah, I do too. You have really painted a good and true um, and a sweet and exciting picture of church. Um, Do you get the sense, Erica, that most women feel today that American women, that church is just another option on a buffet of good things? Like I can go to my workout class. I can take my kid to their soccer game, can go to brunch with the girls or I can go to church. Like what is going on with that? Mm-hmm. Cause I, I kind of had that sense. Yeah, I, I do get that feeling. I mean, I think people kind of look at church and they're like, well, you know, I've been praying and like, I'm reading this devotional or, you know, do I really need to do this? Like, I don't really like religion. I just want to, you know, have my relationship with God and I'm a good person. Um, but I think that's because a lot of people have a, a misunderstanding mm. of what church mm. is. So they think of church as this building that you go to for an hour on Sunday mm. mornings and you listen to a preacher and you come and you go and you drop your kids off and yada, yada. Um, but you know, and probably a lot of listeners know that church is not a building. It is a gathering of people. That's always what it's been. Um, and it's not just one gathering of people. It's a it's a life and community together. And so um, if you're going to church if going to church to you means spending one hour in a building on Sunday mornings and walking out and that's it, you're not really participating in church anyway. Um, You know, I think Sunday morning is a part of church or whatever day your services are. Um, But it's, it's so much more than that. It's relationship, friendship, it's providing for one another. It's a safety net. Um, It's, uh, it's feeling like you have people on your team Um, It's a place where you learn and grow together. Um, I think, you know, people miss um, or don't recognize the fact that God uses other people to teach us more about him. And the purpose of church is not, you know, like getting all your needs met. The purpose of church is to get to know God better and glorify him. And we, and he has told us, we get to know God better Mm -hmm. um, through community, through that church community with other people. Like those perspectives give us new perspectives of God. Like we can't have... Like we all have our own relationship with God. And when we meet together with others, we almost, we get to see a part of God that we can't see ourselves. Like he shows up in almost like a, it's like a 3D way or something um, within that church community. Like the Holy Spirit is there in a, in a different way than he is, you know, by ourselves on a hillside writing in our journals. Um, and that's just, you know, that's just true. You can't have that same experience. And so, um, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what church should be um, and what it can be if we kind of educate ourselves a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. We do um, just sort of narrow it down to a Sunday morning, you know, drive-by experience where we go and consume if we like it, maybe skip if we don't. Um, 
yeah. And something that you sort of reminded me of is something my husband always says, he's a pastor and he always says, our faith is meant to be personal, but not private. So yes, I have a personal mm-hmm. relationship with Jesus, but it's not just me and Jesus, as you said, it's me and the, and the body and the gifts and the expression of Christ in my brothers and sisters. And so we were really made to thrive by participating in this community, not just on Sunday morning, but um, in, in many ways throughout the entire week. And it, and just, it is a family and, and we flourish best when we meet together. Yeah. And, and I was just going to say, you know, I've been really focusing on this, um, you know, the verse Jesus saying, and go make disciples and to the ends of the earth. And um, you cannot make disciples alone. No, you can't. <laughs> you really can't. Mm-hmm. You're not, you're not making disciples by yourself. And so, you know, it is the church that God uses to save people. Yeah. I mean, if you read Acts, it's yeah. like, you know, and the church added to, and they added to their numbers and it, it's through the witness of the church that people are drawn to Jesus. And so when you're not participating in that, if you're not making the church great, making God famous through the church, um, we are missing out on so many people that, you know, that's how they're going to hear it. And so I think people also forget about that, that like, this is not, again, this is not just about you. Like if you are a Christian um, and that's who this book is for, people who would say, yes, I'm a Christian, then you've got to care about like the bigger picture. Mm. Like there's such a bigger story being written and like you're a part of it and God has given you a gift to uh, a gift and and a part to play in this big, big story. And part of that is being, in the church and, and that he's working that to, you know, the good of the greater story, um, you know, something that we can't necessarily see and won't necessarily see here on earth. Yeah. It seems so popular right now to believe and to say, and just to sort of spout off like, well, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. Um, that seems to be, I don't know, maybe the prevailing um, belief or the, the, you know, cliche thing that people say to each other. Has somebody ever said that to you? And how did you respond? Well, I've definitely heard yeah. it. I don't know if anyone said it directly to yeah. me. I'm probably probably like, oh, don't say that to don't Erica. Don't say to her. I've written this book. <laughs> she was, but I, I, I understand an experience, you know, like, but the church, like to, to write off the local church based on experiences you've had at one particular church or with particular people, um, I don't think that really makes sense. Mm. Now, I do want to talk about, I mean, I do talk in the book about how we have to process and we have to heal and we have to like and get your therapy, um, go through the process. Um, you might need to take some time away as you're dealing with it. But I think it's like people are getting stuck. Like mm-hmm. in every other area of life, you're supposed to like go to rehab and you're supposed to go to therapy and you're supposed to heal and find new relationships and, you know, grow as a person. But a lot of times when people are talking about church hurt and religious trauma, it's like they're like, well, I was hurt and so that's it and I'm going to be bitter about it forever. Mm. And I just that, – that's not healthy in any regard mm. no matter what you've been through. And I don't want to I, – I, I feel like sometimes it's hard. I, come, I don't want to come across as overly harsh because I think that everybody's story matters mm. and I think what you've been through matters and I want you to process it. But I also – you know. I want you to know that there are unhealthy people and unhealthy churches, but there are a lot more healthy churches and healthy people. Mm. Um, of course, there's no perfect people, you know, in any relationship, whether it's with your spouse or a friend or a parent, you're probably going to get hurt. 
Um, you can't expect not to get hurt. It's just not possible. Um, but I think we've got to be realistic about the way that life is on earth. Like it's just not going to be perfect. Um, and yeah, I had another thought, but it just escaped me. <laughs> I do appreciate how you're sort of balancing these things. You know, of course you want to meet people where they're at. You want to acknowledge abuse when it's taken place. You want to acknowledge what has been hurt because we know that's real. Um, and at the same time, you're so right. And I don't know that I've ever really thought about it that way, Erica, um, that in every other area of life, we're like, no, you rehab, you, re you rehabilitate and you get back in the game. Um, if you had a bad experience with a teacher, you don't write off education. If you had a bad experience with a coach, you don't write off sports. You know, if you had a bad friend, you don't write off friends. We, we are, we tend to go back into things. And yet with the church, it's different. I'm not sure why that is. Um, you've given me some food for thought here. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things I talk about is, is, you know, this, this idea of the church of your past doesn't have to be the church of your future. Mm -hmm. And so if you, you know, had a bad experience at a mega church or something, um, don't go to one of those. <laughs> like, cause if you walk back into that same, very same setting, like even if it's a different church, you might be overwhelmed with, you know, sort of psychological responses. I write in the book about this concept of schema, which is a psychological term, which basically it's like your brain shortcuts because of trauma, your brain will shortcut back to what happened to you in, in a similar circumstance. And it's like a mechanism of protection, mm -hmm. um, which is great if you're actually in a bad circumstance, but it's not great when you're not. Yeah. Um, but it tricks you into thinking, oh, this is unsafe. I, I can't be mm -hmm. here. Um, and so you have to work against that. You have to sort of rewire your brain to let it know that you're safe now. And so I say, try something different. I say, try a small church. Or if you're not ready to go to a building, like go somewhere else, meet with people, create your own space where you need to be right now. Mm -hmm. The Bible doesn't say that you have to go to a building with a cross on the corner. Mm -hmm. um, it says when two or three are gathered... Mm -hmm. Um, so gather your two or three and, you know, pursue God with a pure heart and he will eventually lead you to where, you know, to that place where you're going to feel more comfortable, mm -hmm. maybe in a larger group. Um, he's not, he doesn't want you to go somewhere where you feel scared. Yeah. I mean, I think we can always remember that God is on your mm -hmm. side. God loves mm -hmm. you. Um, and he wants you to get back to a place where you feel comfortable and that may take time and it may look different for everybody. So give yourself the freedom to do it differently. Mm -hmm. Um, but don't give up altogether. I love how you're talking about this because I feel like it's fuel for conversations that we we can each have with the friends in our life who are in that position. You know, I think sometimes for myself personally, wanting to err on the side of grace and care and validation, I might shy away from those conversations. But you're absolutely right. The Lord will never leave us and he will never forsake us. And his plan A, as you have said, is his body. It is the church. So so then how can I sort of bring those together as I speak with compassion and kindness to a friend who's been hurt and encourage her to take some baby steps just to do one more thing this week that will encourage her healing and encourage her journey back into the fold um, and then into that community. So that is helpful. I think we can apply that to some conversations that we're having in our real life. Um, and let's, can we do that for a second? Like I'm thinking there are some scenarios that we all kind of experience and I would love to hear, you know, kind of what you would say, these answers don't have to be long. Maybe we can like kind of pepper through them, but like, okay, what if, okay. you know, give us some help, Erica, like for having a conversation with a friend who has left because of maybe 
differing politics. You know, in 2020, she was like, I'm out of here because these people's politics are crazy. What would that conversation look like if you were trying to woo her back to church? Well, I've heard that a lot. Um, I actually am sort of have one foot in the political world. I lived in Washington, D.C. for 10 years, so I'm I'm still pretty sort of like ear, ear in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have heard that a lot. Um, and I think the first thing I would say is um, my church didn't have any problems with politics. We didn't talk about politics. Um, we stayed focused on scripture. And so what I can tell you is that that not every church is like the one you experience. There are many churches across the country that don't talk about Donald Trump. They don't talk about Joe Biden. Um, that is sort of like a peripheral issue. Obviously, we, we want to be good citizens and vote on policies and you know, things that are going we believe in that are good for people and good for our communities. That's important. Um, but there are, I mean, we live in America. There are so many churches mm. And I know that it's hard work to find one that you like, um, but I would argue that it really is worth your time to take the time to explore your community and find a space that you feel comfortable in. And if a space that brings up politics isn't that for you, um, you don't have to go there. Nobody's forcing you to go anywhere. It's your choice. And there are lots of wonderful communities Um, within church bodies. And none of them are going to be mad at you if you go to a different one. Yeah. What would you, so another one that I hear um, frequently, although I think it's more, it's something you don't hear until you're sort of in a close relationship or an intimate friendship with somebody is just the feeling of shame. A friend who feels like she can't go back to church because she feels ashamed. What would that conversation look like? Mm. Well, for me, uh, being a very open person, I would probably share my own story. Mm -hmm. Um, I got plenty of sinful things I've done and, you know, things in the past that I regret. And I have no problem sharing those with people. Um, You know, I even have a story that I've been holding on to that I haven't really told anyone because I feel like someday God is going to introduce me to a woman that needs to hear Mm -hmm. it. And I think vulnerability is not to be like overly cliche. I know that's like a very popular cultural term, but I really think vulnerability is the answer. And you know, at my church, I have tried to lead the way. I go to a pretty small church, but I've tried to lead the way in vulnerability. Mm-hmm. I um, have spoken about my sobriety in front of the church, um, my eating disorder. Um, I'm very open on social media. So if you were to if you were to start following me, you would very quickly probably feel comfortable with me. I think what it does is you become safe. Mm-hmm. You know, I, people know that they, I've put my story out there. People know that they can come to me and tell me something really intimate Mm. because I've told them something really intimate. And so I think the more that churches, and I think they could do a better job of this. I think the more that churches can bring that vulnerability into the services and the regular aspects of life, they should. Mm -hmm. So people sharing their stories, their testimonies, like the church leadership, like talking about something that's happened to them or something that they're struggling with. The pastor should not be this guy that looks like, you know, he has this perfect everything together kind of life. I mean, I think that's one issue I talk about is that there are certain churches where I think the pastor becomes this, you know, sort of celebrity mm-hmm. or like godlike mm-hmm. figure. And it's like, no, we need more than the pastor being up there mm-hmm. and sharing. We need everybody. So 
yeah, I'm just, I'm going on. No, that's so good. (laughs) I love that. And I will just say to the listeners to absolutely give you a follow online, because um, as I said to you before we started recording, you sharing about your sobriety has been tremendously encouraging to me and to my community. Um, there, I have a number of really dear friends who are pursuing sobriety right now, and I was able to point them to you. You know, you share stories sometimes or reels um, where you you talk really vulnerably, and I've sent those to these friends and said, you know, look at Erica um, and the way that she's sharing. And so you have served the larger church, not just your local church, with that vulnerability. And I love that idea of all of us just being more willing to be real with one another. I think um, church would feel so much more intimate and safe and like the place it's meant to be that God made it to be if we would be transparent with one another. So thanks for that. And I, and I yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, it rem- I, and I don't know if this is where I got this idea, but when I was growing up in church um, in my home church as a kid, I, there were day, there were certain Sundays and, and my pastor would just, it would just be sort of like a word from God. He would be like, you know what? I just want to hear from people today. Mm-hmm. What, what's going on? And people yeah. would go up and take the mic and they would share like the deepest mm-hmm. struggles of their heart with the entire congregation. And I remember one couple, and I don't know why I remember these particular ones, but this one couple came up and they were like, well, we just want to confess that we have not tithed for a whole year. Wow. Or, you know, somebody's talking about, I have been struggling with addiction mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever it may be. And those made such an impact on yeah. me. And it's so funny. This is so full circle. Last night I was on a a live radio show and I get this message on Facebook, literally like as soon as I hang up and it is my pastor from when I was a kid who I don't keep in touch with. And he said, I was just listening to the radio and you were on and you were talking about, you know, and I was like, what? And I was just like, God, you're so cool. Like, like you like this is such a it was a random like radio station in Georgia I think no St. Louis I don't remember what it, what the sh- what the uh, location was but somehow it was on his radio and he heard it and he's the guy you know that gave that me example. this vulnerability idea mm-hmm. and I got to tell him that I haven't even gotten to tell him that <laughs> I love um, that but I did love this particular pastor yeah. um and so very cool that he yeah randomly heard me on the radio last night. (laughs) I do think vulnerability breeds vulnerability. You know, the more you do it, the more you get it and the more other people catch it and it, it kind of just builds on itself. Okay. Final question, Erica, before we close out here, what would you say to the church or to church going women? What is one thing we can be doing better in terms of inviting women back and giving them reasons to return? Well, I would say the number one way that people end up going to church is through a personal invitation from a friend. Mm -hmm. That's old school evangelism, I guess. Um, But I know that it's hard to invite people to church because I don't do it very Mm -hmm. often because I don't, especially today, because you're like, I don't want them to be offended or, you know, whatever. Um, But I would say being intentional about just finding those opportunities, especially if your church has something special going on. Mm -hmm. Like I know that Mm -hmm. my church... And a lot of churches in this area do a lot of things for kids or, you know, we used to have a, um, we would do a date night at our church where anyone from the community could drop their kids off and they could go for a date night and we'd give them a little date kit. And so this, I think it's like the second or one of the most popular ways people end up coming to a church is through sort of one of these adjacent activities, Mm -hmm. um, like a class or something like that. So I think looking for those opportunities. And then lastly, I would just say, this is a big one. 
your church and yourself being involved in the community. There's a book um, I recommend by Jonathan Brooks. It's called Church Forsaken. I don't know if you've heard of it, Um, but it's a beautiful example of a church that really just integrated itself with the community in this most beautiful way. And, you know, it's like these people weren't, the community members weren't coming to the church, but as the church began to give into the community, um, they saw and respected that. And so I think as much as your church can be, you know, giving back to the community in all kinds of visible ways, I think that's going to draw people in and they're going to, because what I find sometimes when I'm, I talk to somebody or, you know, and it's like, and I'm like, yeah, like I volunteer here or like, you know, we donate here or we're doing this project or whatever. People are like, almost like, oh, you're, you're not like other Christians. <laughs> right. And I'm kind of like, but actually there I am right. like Christians are extremely generous yes. if you look at the statistics. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, it's personal relationships that make all the difference. So you become the face of Christianity and you become, you know, that introduction to Jesus by being there for people without an expectation. And I think that you just have to be intentional about it. Love it. We're going to end on that note. That is such good truth, Erica. Thank you for sharing your wisdom, your research, um, a reason to return. I will be linking all of this in the show notes as well as where people can find you, your website, the book and everything else. But thanks for writing this and thanks for sharing with us. Thank you. All right. Thank you everybody for listening to All Things. Thanks for listening to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at current events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply his word to what's happening here and now.